We're going to be in the beginning of Romans 5, so go ahead and turn in your Bibles there, if you will. Um, as you're turning there, I want us to think about some of the advertisements that we see on TV sometimes, uh, especially the ones for medicine. Anyone ever see those on TV, all the ones for medicine? Um, well, normally they have people walking through a sunlit field in slow motion or playing in a sunlit pool in slow motion or something in slow motion because somehow that's a better life than whatever motion we're in. Um, but they always talk about <clears throat> the benefits of this medicine. And a lot of times they list the benefits on the screen one at a time. Have like, you know, less coughing, you know, less joint pain, um, clearer skin and the like. But what happens at the end of the advertisements? You get some man talking at light speed about all the side effects that could happen with this particular medicine that you're looking at. So you're thinking about taking this medicine, androlodophotobotocene, whatever it is, and upset, for upset stomach, but the side effects are blurry vision, a never-ending cough, or death, right? Uh, most of the time, they're like, call your doctor today to see if this is right for you, to see what benefits you can get. Well, today, we're going to look at the benefits in these five verses of justification or of salvation, in other words. And there's no section of negative side effects we're going to see here, but there are some right now benefits for believers, uh, what we do have is some man talking at light speed to you, so I'll try to slow down a little bit for you. Um, so before we get started, some previous context. Um, the letter, letter to the Romans was written by the Apostle Paul. It truly is an amazing letter if you haven't read it through. Um, where we're at now is Romans 5, but in Romans 4, Paul just got done talking about Abraham. He says, um, Abraham believed God and it was credited to him as righteousness, quoting Old Testament passage. Um, and this is not by works, it will also be a payment instead of this belief that he got, he got righteousness. This shows that even in the Old Testament, um, those people were saved through faith in God. And then he explains that the descendants of Abraham are also justified by faith, but not the physical ones, but the spiritual descendants, the ones who believed in God and are justified. And then he says this is not written just for their sake, but for our sake as well. So it says in verse 23 and 24, Now it was not for his sake only it was written that it was credited to him, but for our sake also, to whom it will be credited as those who believe in him who raised Jesus our Lord from the dead. Now we say all of that context because chapter 5 starts with a transition word, therefore. I think it would be incorrect for us to just go into the passage without understanding the preceding context. We oftentimes say in our college ministry, we ask, what is the therefore there for? Uh, well, it's there signalizing that we are moving on from describing justification being on the basis of belief only. Now it's moving on to the benefits of justification. Look at this outline for today. Um, we're going through, uh, we see that we're going to be righteous through faith, that we have peace with God, we have access to the Father, that we rejoice in tribulations, and that we have the Holy Spirit as believers. So look at verse 1, uh, Romans 5, 1. It says, Therefore, having been justified by faith, we have peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ. Like I mentioned earlier, we're going to look at the benefits of justification in this passage. The first two we see actually in this first verse. Paul is moving on from chapter 4 where he's defending righteousness through faith. He's now moving on to these benefits of justification. To be justified means to be declared righteous, to be, to be seen as righteous, declared righteous. That's exactly what Paul talked about in chapter 4. And we can't pass this up as the first benefit of justification. The fact that God sees us as righteous only on the basis of our faith 
is a miracle of God in and of itself. Uh, Ephesians 2, 8, and 9 says that, For by grace you have been saved through faith. That is not of yourselves. It's a gift of God. It's not a result of work so that no one may boast. So it's not us that do it. We're not good enough to get there. But it's a gift of God. It's by faith. And then what Paul said earlier in this letter in chapter 4, To the one who does not work but believes him who justifies the ungodly, his faith is credited as righteousness. Even if we do no work at all, but we believe in Christ who declares the ungodly to be righteous, then we're eternally saved. And that is the first right now benefit we have of justification here in this passage, is that no matter what we've done, we are declared righteous through our faith. Our good works are filthy rags to God. We bring them to him and, and they're tainted. They're not good enough. But if we place our faith in him, then we're justified through our faith. If we look at the grammar, uh, you see this is in the past tense. This means he's talking to believers who have placed their faith in Christ, who have been justified, and we're declared righteous the moment we believe. This is our standing before God right now, and it's righteous. In 2 Corinthians 5.21, it says this, He made him who knew no sin to be sin on our behalf so that we might become the righteousness of God in him. So we receive Christ's righteousness Whenever we place our faith in him, he took our sin on the cross and paid for it, died to pay for sins, he rose to conquer death, and he offers eternal life and justification through faith in him. As a result of that justification, we have peace with God. Look, look next. In verse 1, it says, we have peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ. We were not at peace with him. Uh, we were against him, and now that we have been justified by faith in God, we have peace with him. Ephesians 2, 1 through 6 kind of outlined this a little bit. Uh, look what it says. And you were dead in your trespasses and sins, in which you formerly walked according to the course of this world, according to the prince of the power of the air, that's Satan, of the spirit that is now working in the sons of disobedience. Among them, we too all formerly lived in the lust of our flesh. He's talking about him as an apostle even says, we lived in this lust of our flesh, indulging in the desires of the flesh and of the mind, and were by nature children of wrath even as the rest. So we were enemies and against God, but God, being rich in mercy because of his great love with which he loved us, even when we were dead in our transgressions, he made us alive together with Christ. By grace you have been saved. And raised us up with him, and seated us with him in the heavenly places in Christ Jesus. <clears throat> so we were actively against God, we were enemies of him, but by grace we've been saved through faith, as we see just two verses down in Ephesians. There's a difference here between the peace with God, though, <clears throat> and the peace of God. Peace with God comes through salvation. Uh, something that we have the moment we believe, we place our trust in Christ for eternal life, and we never lose this. It never ends. The peace of God is different. The peace of God is something we experience during our Christian life, or we can experience. We see it in Philippians 4, 6, and 7. Look, uh, be anxious for nothing, but in everything, by prayer and supplication, with thanksgiving, let your requests be made known to God. And the peace of God, which surpasses all comprehension, will guard your hearts and your minds in Christ Jesus. So the peace of God makes no sense during times whenever everyone and everything tells us we should not have peace. The peace of God will guard our hearts and our minds. I mentioned this in the first service. I like this verse because it says it'll guard your heart and your mind. Um, and I feel like whenever I'm anxious about something and worried, it feels like my mind is like being like oppressed or whatever it is um, internally. But this will guard my heart and my mind in Christ Jesus. So the peace of God comes whenever we bring everything to God in prayer. And it depends if we're going to have it on how we respond in our Christian life. 
How do we respond when we're anxious or when we have these trials that come our way? Do we have the peace of God or not? It can come and go. But the peace with God is never dependent on how we respond in our Christian life. After we believe in him, we're justified, and we always have peace with God. We have peace with God right now. Uh, not when we die. Not when we die, we'll finally be at peace with God. We can do things. We can sin. We can be away in fellowship, but we're always going to be at peace, and we can always approach God, as we're going to see a little later in this passage. The second benefit we see of justification right now is having peace with God through Jesus Christ. Let's move on to verse 2. Through Jesus Christ, through whom um, also we have obtained our introduction by faith into this grace in which we stand, and we exult or rejoice in the hope or in hope of the glory of God. So through Christ, who died to pay for sins, rose to conquer death, we obtained our introduction by faith into this grace in which we stand. It's because of Christ we're able to stand in the grace of God, just because of him. Right? On our own, we could not get there. We could not do it. Um, and we can, we can approach him as well, stand in the grace. We can approach God. It says in Hebrews 4, 15 through 16, um, if we do not have a high priest, we're talking about Christ, um, who cannot sympathize with our weaknesses, but one who's been tempted in all things as we are, yet without sin. Therefore, let us draw near with confidence to the throne of grace, so that we may uh, receive mercy and find grace to help in the time of need. We have direct access to God the Father through our advocate and mediator, Jesus Christ. We can boldly approach the throne of grace in the time of need because we've been justified. We have that access there. And not only... um, can we draw near, but he's been tempted as we are, right? Christ was tempted when he was here on earth, and yet he never sinned. So he can sympathize with us and our weaknesses. We can go to him for help. He knows what it's like to be tempted. To be tempted is not a sin. To follow the temptation, that's when it becomes a sin, right? So the third benefit of justification is this. We have never-ending access to the Father. This is an all an act of God's grace. We could not get here on our own at all. In the Greek, uh, the language that this was written in, uh, stand here is in the perfect tense. This means that it's a past action with continuing results. So the moment we believe, we have access to the Father. And this continues all through our Christian life. That means right now we have access to God. We can turn to Him no matter what we're going through. We should confess our sin in our lives and then ask Him for help in our current trial. I don't know what trial you're going through. Um, You may be in one, you may be coming out of one, or you may be going into one, probably one of those three. Um, But remember during this time that you have access to your creator because we have a perfect high priest who we can come to and have a mediator between us and God. So we have access to our creator because we've placed our faith in him. And we know one day we're going to stand perfect before him, right? We'll physically stand before him and be perfect This is the second part of verse 2, where it says, and we exult in the hope of the glory of God. We exult in hope of the future glory. We're going to be there. We will be glorified. To be glorified just means to be without sin, right? We'll be perfect at that point. So we have been justified in the past tense, and we will be glorified, future tense. These are things that are guaranteed. If you are justified, then you will be glorified. You will be perfect, be with Christ. But even though we as believers have been declared righteous and our standing before God is righteous, we don't live righteously every day, right? And we all sin. I sin. I know that we all sin. 
and we struggle with the flesh, this pull, this bend to sin, but we have a future hope to look forward to, and we will be glorified, we'll be without sin, we will be perfect. So I want to kind of explain that there for a second. Um, it's sanctification process, right? So justified is in the past. It's whenever we were saved, put our faith in Christ, we're declared righteous. And then our position before God is our standing. Our standing before him is righteous. He sees us as righteous. We're given eternal life. We're given other things as well at the moment of salvation. But um, right here it says we're given eternal life and we're freed from the penalty of sin. That's on Christ. We believe in him. Sanctification is in between part, between justification and glorification. And this is a process of being made righteous. It's never guaranteed for us in Scripture, but it's our goal for our Christian life. It's God's will for us is our sanctification. And um, this is our current state. So our state does not equal our standing right now. God sees us as righteous, but we don't act righteously every day. We still have the flesh and such. And we're given the Holy Spirit. And the Holy Spirit is how we, what empowers us to live the Christian walk. And we're freed from the power of sin. We no longer have to follow the flesh. We don't have to give in to those temptations that we had because we have the Holy Spirit and we're freed from that bondage of the flesh. We're freed from the power of sin. One day, we'll be glorified. We'll be made righteous. Our state and our standing will be the same thing. We will be righteous. We are given a glorified body. Once again, that's a fancy word for just a perfect body. We're going to be with Christ. And we're freed from the presence of sin. We will have, no longer have a pull towards sin at all. And this hope it talks about is not this hope that I hope one day this will happen, or I hope it doesn't rain again, right, as we're leaving. Um, it's rather a hope of a present enjoyment of a future reality. We know that this is going to happen. We know that as believers who have been justified, we will be glorified. And that's the hope that we have here. It's a hope that's promised by God. And it gives us courage as we face things now, we face trials now. So we rejoice in the hope of the glory of God. But that's not all. Look at verse 3. It says, And not only this, but we also rejoice or exult in our tribulations, knowing that tribulation brings about perseverance and perseverance, proven character, proven character, hope. hope. So we're um, able to rejoice in our tribulations in this life. How is that possible? Well, Paul goes on and explains, but I don't want to discount the connection from the previous section that he just said. We know no matter what happens in this life, whether we are tortured or persecuted or killed, that one day we will stand perfect before our Creator. That makes tribulations a lot easier to go through, don't you think? To have that sure hope to look forward to. We've been justified. We rejoice in the hope the glory of God will happen someday. But this is the in-between part he's going into now. This in-between, the sanctification part. This is how we become more like Christ in our Christian walk. So Paul goes one step further than just have hope to look forward to. He says we rejoice knowing that tribulations bring about perseverance. And perse- uh, so if we have the correct response, we have tribulations in our lives, trials that we go through. And if we have the correct response, then we will build up perseverance. Right? Um, we're able to withstand more. The more trials we go through, the better response we have, the more we'll be able to withstand. This is the fourth benefit of justification that we have right now, is that God can actually use our tribulations to grow us in our Christian walk. Now, this only comes after salvation and through relying on Christ. We can't do it on our own power. John 15, 5, uh, Christ is talking to his disciples, and he says, I am the vine, you are the branches. He who abides in me and I in him, he bears much fruit. For apart from me, you can do nothing 
And so we must be abiding in Christ whenever trials and tribulations come. If we're living a life in sin, we will not be able to persevere as much as if we were um, in fellowship with Christ and walking in the Spirit. So it says we need to confess back in fellowship and then stay in the Bible, right? be praying, and then be in Christian fellowship. It's important to have people to encourage us and build us up as we're going through tribulations and to keep us accountable in our Christian life. So perseverance happens when we are abiding in Christ. And then perseverance brings about proven character. This is our testimony. Proven character uh, has this idea of being tested, and the results of it are that you're coming out on top. So others will see our response to trials, and we'll see that we get through it well. Not because of us, but because of Christ. Normally, if you know someone, even if you just barely know them, and they're going through a really hard time, or they're really sick, you, you normally find out about it some way. Right? Either whether it be through Facebook, or through um, just down the grapevine, people tell you. And you always ask, well, how are they doing? Right? How are they doing? And you want to hear, well, they're doing all right, right? Even though they have all this bad stuff going on, they still have joy, they still have hope, all these things. Sometimes that's not what we hear. But when we're going through a trial, we're going through a tribulation, first of all, we want the hope, we want the peace and the joy in that trial, but we also want to be, uh, have proven character. People can tell that they're going through all of this and they're still persevering and they still have joy somehow. But it's not from us, it's from Christ. And then if we have this proven character, um, there's hope. We know that if we've persevered, our character will be proven. If our character is proven, we have a hope of being rewarded for our service. We all want to hear one thing when we get to see God for the first time, right? What is it? It's well done, good, and faithful servant. We actually just went over this passage that says well done, good, and faithful servant in the college ministry just the last hour. And Paul describes this in the Corinthian, letter to the Corinthian church. Uh, he writes to a group of believers and says this to believers. Do you not know that those who run a race all run, but only one receives the prize? Run in such a way that you may win. Everyone who competes in the games exercises self-control in all things. They then do it to receive a perishable wreath, but we an imperishable. So I am two believers who have eternal life the moment they believe, who are justified on the basis of faith, not by works, and tells them to run the race with endurance, that they might win an imperishable wreath. This is persevering through trials. This is having um, your faith or your, your um, relationship with God tested and having proven character and setting our eyes on the hope we have in Christ. We hope in Christ living our life now to be well-pleasing to him. When we stand before him, we want to be accepted and rewarded. Um, both are great, right? But one has more of a cause of celebration. It'd be great to, to stand before Christ and he's like, come in, cool. But how much better is it to hear, well done, good and faithful servant. Come enter into the joy of your master. Right? We want to hear that as believers. And um, it's talking to believers and saying, run the race with endurance. I want to kind of sit here on this hope uh, for a moment. And recently the college ministry did a trip to England. We flew all the way there to share the gospel alongside other believers. Uh, we went door to door to share this great news. Uh, we were scared, very scared. I didn't think door-to-door -door was going to work at all. I was like, people are just going to be mad at us. They're going to slam the door in our faces, you know, tell us off, whatever it is. Um, but we had a hope that this was important work, that we're, we're doing it for, for Christ. And 1 Corinthians 15, 58 says, 
Therefore, my beloved brethren, be steadfast and movable, always abounding in the work of the Lord, knowing your toil is not in vain in the Lord. I can tell you, through all those rejections of the doors being closed in our faces and such, our team was filled with way more hope as we were leaving than whenever we arrived on the trip. We had really good conversations as well, a few good conversations, um, and we knew that what we did was not in vain. We're doing it for the Lord. I remind those who uh, share the gospel with us uh, as we go out and share the gospel that they're not being rejected because of them, but because people are rejecting Christ. Unless you're one of the girls that was on the trip with us. Um, she went to a door. I knocked on the door. They opened it. She said, hi, I'm from America. I'm here to learn about the village and stuff and get to know people. And they said, ha, and closed the door. So unfortunately, she was rejected because of her, not because of Christ. Um, but whenever we're sharing the gospel with, with people, ultimately, they're rejecting the message, not us as an individual. Right? You need to remember that. So how are we doing as a community uh, of sharing the gospel, as a church? A lot of times, I think it's harder and scarier to share with your neighbor than it is with a stranger. I found that out as we were over there um, in the UK. We said we talked to this certain person on this certain person's street, and they're like, I've known them for five years. I didn't know they believed that. And at first, we were like, how do you not know that they believe? I thought about all the people that I know. I don't know what they believe. So how are we doing as a church with sharing this hope that we have? We're looking at all these benefits of justification, but unbelievers, we don't, they don't have that. They don't have access to God. They don't have um, all these things that we're looking at. Let's be a church who shares our faith with people. So we've gone through tribulations. We've persevered. We have character proven, and we have this hope. Now look at verse 5. And hope does not disappoint because the love of God has been poured out within our hearts through the Holy Spirit who is given to us. Our hope doesn't disappoint. The truth is, we can set our hope on many things and they're going to disappoint us. We can set them on money and realize there's always more money to make. There's always someone richer out there that that we can try to be like. Um, We set our hope in fame. We realize that maybe it brings about false friends and insincerity. Maybe we set our hope on people to try to fulfill us and they're inevitably going to fail us in one way or another. As children, we set our hope on our parents a lot of times. Um, and if you're a parent out there or a kid out there uh, at some point, then you can testify that your parents don't always live up to those expectations. Or they say they're going to do something, and then life gets in the way, and it doesn't happen. That's just how life goes, and they're going to disappoint us. But we set our hope in God, and he never fails us, never disappoints. We know for sure that what he says will happen will come to pass. When he says, I give you eternal life, the moment we believe, We know that we have eternal life and that never ends or it wouldn't have been eternal in the beginning. We know that he says he'll never leave us or forsake us, that we have that promise from him and we'll never be left or forsaken. And we have this amazing hope. Why would we not want others to have it as well? There's so much pain from people in the world who set their goals and their fulfillment on things that don't fulfill and that ultimately fail them. And we can do it as believers as well. Make sure our hope is set on God and we share that hope that we have with other people. So we know that we can withstand tribulation and persevere, have our character proven, because the love of God, it says in verse 5, the love of God has been poured out within our hearts through the Holy Spirit who was given to us. We know that God loves us. It's not just some head knowledge someone told us, and we're like, makes sense, cool. Yeah. Uh, we know it, right? And uh, it's an internal knowledge, a subjective way of us knowing that. 
And it's also only through the power of the Holy Spirit that we can withstand and go through trials in a God-glorifying way. So the fifth benefit of justification is the Holy Spirit. We receive the person of the Holy Spirit who is given to us. And we actually know as believers, the Holy Spirit is a sign about our future hope to us. Um, Ephesians 1, 13 and 14 says this, In him you also, after listening to the message of truth, the gospel of your salvation, having also believed, you were sealed in him with the Holy Spirit of promise, who is given as a pledge of our inheritance, with a view to the redemption of God's own possession, to the praise of his glory. So we're sealed in the Holy Spirit of promise. And it's actually a sign of the future hope that we have. That word pledge is the same word as down payment, right? It's a down payment. So God places the Holy Spirit in us and says, this is just a down payment for what's going to come. And we're sealed in him. We're sealed in the Holy Spirit. And so we have that. And it's also about the Holy Spirit that we're able to live the Christian life. One thing to note um, in this passage is that we see that he starts out with being justified by faith. And he talks about how... um, We have this hope. He talks about that for a few verses in here, and he ends with the love of God being poured out. So this kind of triad that we see through Scripture of faith, hope, and love, something we see in in the same here. And we start our Christian life by faith. Um, We set our our mind on this hope that we have, and ultimately God is love. Our lives should be identified by the love we have for God and for others. In this passage, we've seen five benefits that we have right now of justification, of being declared righteous. The first one is being declared righteous. I mean, that's, that's an amazing thing. God sees us as righteous through faith in him right now. And we have peace with God, something we can never do on our own, but we have peace with God right now. We also have access to the Father. We have access to God because of our mediator, Jesus Christ. It starts at salvation and it extends forever. We can rejoice in tribulations because God can use them for our benefit, for our growth. And we're given the Holy Spirit through whom we're able to live the Christian life right now in a God-glorifying way. Some applications. First of all, let's use our access to the Father. Um, We're able to approach the throne of grace in a time of need, so why would we not do it? So let's do that. Pray when we're tempted. Pray when we're hurting. Pray when we're joyful. We have access to our Creator. Let's do that. Second, let's rejoice in tribulations. Rejoice in them because we know they can be used for our benefit and because we know we're going to stand before Christ someday. Also, walking in the Spirit is the only way we can do it. We can't do it apart from Christ. We can't do it without walking in the Spirit. Galatians 5.16 says, uh, But I say to you, walk in the Spirit, and you will not carry out the desires of the flesh. Sometimes, for me, and probably for a lot of us, we can try to flip that around. I can say, um, I'll just not carry out the flesh, and then I'll be walking in the Spirit. That's not what it says. It says, walk in the Spirit and you will not carry out the desires of the flesh. It's not by own willpower. It's by walking in the Spirit, abiding in Christ, focusing on God and all aspects of our lives. So we can rejoice in tribulations when temptations come by walking in the Spirit. And then third, let's set our hope on Him who does not disappoint, on Christ. Don't look to the world, to those around you, to completely fulfill you, because they cannot, they will fall short, but God never does fall short. Let's set our eyes on eternity and our hope on being pleasing to God. I want to hear, well done, good and faithful servant. So let's use these benefits of just justification now, right? We'll have 
access to the Father, right, after we die, after Christ comes back. We'll have all the other things whenever he comes back, but we also already have them now. So let's use them now, right? How before it's too late and we're already in front of Christ. Don't wait till it's too late. Let's be men and women who glorify God in all areas of our lives.